Welcome back to Firewall. As usual, I'm your host, Bradley Tusk. Uh, today is a bonus episode uh, because I was told uh, by my team that talking about the Mets doesn't count as an actual podcast. Um, but with that said, uh, very excited to have today's guests on because uh, I think they would both argue that it should count as an actual podcast. And two people who may now have my dream job, uh, Peter Calvin and Blake Zeff. Guys, thank you for coming on. Great to be here. Thanks for having us. Sure. So, so both of you... Um, I know from politics and come out of politics and then all of a sudden ended up with this like dream job of just talking about the Mets all day and, and hopefully being paid to do so. So uh, I'll just take it one at a time. Peter, how did this happen? Uh, well, Blake, you want to I'll, I'll throw that one to Blake for the origin story. Well, it's funny. It, it, I mean, it's funny that you kind of made the point about politics, Bradley, because this idea, even though it seems like totally disconnected from politics, actually came from our political orientation, which is, you know, we both have worked in politics for a long time. And if, to get your news, if you work in politics, a lot of what you do in the morning is you read newsletters from places like Politico, The New York Times, whatever it might be. They'll kind of there's so much news. You want to get it all in one easy to find place. So you get links that someone compiles and maybe they give you some smart analysis and that's how you get your day going. And so Peter and I are, are Mets fans who also know each other from politics. And we would always say, it would be amazing to have this for the Mets, just a place so I don't have to go to every single website to find every single article. I don't have to follow every reporter on Twitter and see what they wrote. Is there some place that can just get us a morning email that gets us up to date on all the different articles and maybe a little bit of analysis too, kind of a one-stop shop and we kept searching and searching and searching and eventually we were like, maybe we just need to do it ourselves. And so when you guys decided that, what was sort of the, was it like a long market research process and all of that? And you're just like, fuck it. Uh, we want to do something on the Mets. We'll just put it together and do it. It was, it was a little of both. Um, I think we sort of went in, we started kind of mocking things up. And then uh, Blake had the good sense to do some real kind of deep dive. I did a sort of a, an assessment of kind of what was out there, the fan blogs, um, different different iterations of uh, not quite newsletters, but different different websites that offered some version of this. Um, and then Blake was the one who found kind of digging through Substack that just kind of as we were talking about this, uh, this new thing, whatever it was, uh, found this newsletter on Substack that was described as exactly what we were looking to do, uh, which we immediately said, you know, either meant it was a great idea or we had a, a, a competitor out there looking to do the same thing, checked out what he was doing and it was outstanding. It was, it was good. And, uh, so I, we kind of looked at it and said, you know, let's kind of meet him and, and see if this is somebody we want to work with. And then, you know, Blake did the outreach and, uh, that's our, our partner in this is, uh, Jeffrey Ballone, who's been running the Knicks Film School for uh, for a year and a half, and has established a really successful uh, blog for Knicks fans, uh, newsletter for Knicks fans. So it's the three of us um, that are working on it. And so, are you guys still doing your your day jobs, or has this become like an all encompassing twenty four seven just focus on the Mets thing? Yes. <laughs> Yes. It, it, okay, it, it, yeah. Enough. It's, uh, you know, I, uh, as far as my clients are concerned, I'm 100% uh, running my firm and uh, hands on on every uh, client project. Um, you know, it's just, you know, it's, I think we both have a little bit of flexibility uh, in the consulting world that uh, we get to kind of adjust our schedules as we can. Uh, but definitely for me, this is a, a project that I'm looking at sort of similar to kind of launching a client. I'm just sort of doing it for, uh, 
for a, a personal project this time. And what, what does the business model look like? In, in order for this to be a successful subscription business, what do you need? Like 10,000 paying subscribers at, a, at 100 bucks a year each? Or how do you look at it? Yeah, so I mean, I think there's a couple of different ways. And I heard you, you had a recent episode where I think you tackled this exact issue where I think you had said something like, you know, you had sort of assumed that advertising was still the way of the world when it comes to content. Um, but that actually the New York Times, I think, is probably making more money off of subscriptions than yeah. the other way around. And so yeah. we actually had two ideas yeah. for how to do this. One was it might be a website kind of like the Drudge Report where people can just maniacally refresh the site all day long. And then, um, you know, that becomes a go to source. And then that would be advertisement you know, based. Um, the other idea is we saw the prol proliferation of Substack newsletters was to look at that. And that model, like you say, is really more subscription based. And the bet is, um, and I should mention that right now, what we're doing is 100% free. Go to metsfix.com or follow us on Twitter at Metsfix, and you can just sign up for free. You'll get it Monday through Friday at 8 a.m. You'll get everything you need to know about the Mets. But you know, we've been approached by some folks who are interested in potentially advertising with us. But what we think is probably makes the most sense is if we ever did go into a model that was paid, it would be the subscriber method. Um, and rather than think through how many subscribers you would need uh, for an individual newsletter, you can imagine a business that's potentially scalable where you could do this with other teams. We, you know, Peter mentioned that our partner JB does one for the Knicks already. That's a paid newsletter. They have thousands of subscribers. They pay something like $5 a month. You can do the math and figure out how that works. But really where you start to see powerful numbers, Bradley, is as you scale it. We've been you know, approached by people in other sport who want to do it for other sports. You can imagine other sports. You can imagine all the New York teams. You can imagine things that, frankly, go beyond sports. There are lots of passions that people have. So I think it's more the aggregate of several different newsletters than just sort of you know, getting rich off of one particular project. Is there like a, a podcast in the offing, or how do you see the product roadmap kind of rolling out? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, what we've been discussing is uh, a couple things. One, maybe a weekly podcast, uh, an audio version of the newsletter. Um, people will be going back to their offices at some point, um, and folks have expressed uh, some interest in kind of an audio version of it. So that would be like a mini podcast every morning. You could just, uh, you could listen as opposed to reading through. Um, so that's, you know, two things that we're, uh, we're contemplating. Very cool. Um, and, and your families thought this was insane or <laughs> they were like, we understand what makes you happy. And this is the thing that makes you really happy. So my wife it. thinks it's insane. Uh, and she also realizes that I spend a large chunk of my day thinking about talking about and writing emails about the Mets, whether or not I call it a business or not. So uh, I, I think that's also a, a, a bending to reality, too. Uh, Blake, how about you? Are, you? are you getting acceptance for this or are you kind of fighting your way? No, through it's the it? same thing. It's, it's exactly. I, I'm spending so much time before this, just watching the Mets, reading about the Mets, thinking about it. And I know you're the same way that it's just, I'm not, it's not really that much additional time. It's articles I'd be reading anyway. Now I get to have fun kind of writing these little blurbs about them. So if there's a way to make it productive, I think my wife probably seems, sees that as a win. <laughs> There you go, turning your vice into a virtue. Um, so I, I made a list of different topics uh, about this season and thought I'd just throw them at you guys and, and get your take. And I think the idea is we're going to release this uh, on Thursday, which is opening day. So let's just start off with the uh, what's your win total for each of you? I'm going to go 92. Should I elaborate okay. or you want to do like lightning? 
Yeah, no, no. Tell, tell me why 92. Things have to go right. Right. I, I love the lineup. I think it's a really good one through eight lineup. There aren't a lot of holes. That's a pretty slump-free, you know, a slump-proof lineup, I think. Uh, I guess, you know, James McCann's your number eight hitter. He's pretty good. Um, but you've got a lot of different options. It's pretty balanced. So I like that. I'm relatively bullish on the starting rotation. When you get Carrasco and Syndergaard back, it's, it might be a little dicey for the first month or two. So can we, you know, tread water until you get full strength and you kind of hope that you got your big injuries out of the way, kind of the inevitable injuries. For me, where I really worry is the bullpen. And is 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 Edwin Diaz going to be the closer of 2020 who was lights out because he was pitching in front of cardboard as opposed to real fans? Um, or can he actually put it together this year and be reliable? And just that bullpen, I think all bullpens you worry about. This is where I really worry about is the bullpen. But if they can get a pretty good bullpen, I like their chances. It's a tough division, but I think they are the second best team in the division. After the Braves, Peter, what do you think? I'd go 94, um, and mainly because of the lineup. I think it's a strong lineup. I like Lindor at short. I like McNeil at second over Cano. So I like it up the middle, um, and uh, yeah, that's even barring. I, I had still been thinking that DH was going to get added somehow miraculously at the last second, so I don't think that's going to happen, but I, I, I can see them getting to 94 wins. That, that assumes a competence from MLB that seems completely <laughs> impossible, uh, unfortunately. So at 92 and 94, you both think that they're making the playoffs. Peter, do you have them winning the division at 94 or still coming in behind I, I the I think it's, uh, it's a coin flip. I, I, it's hard to pick against the Braves just because they've done it. Um, and I don't get all the uh, I, I really don't understand the projections that have the Braves coming in third or fourth in that division. They, they've won it. They have a young, talented core. So I think the Braves slightly ahead, maybe a game or two ahead of the Mets. Yeah. And, and they, they got a little better in the offseason, too. Right. Yep. Charlie Morton was a good pickup. True Smith. So um, either of you believe that the Mets will make or win the World Series? Come on, we're Mets fans, man. We gotta, we gotta hope, we gotta think, we gotta believe. I mean, look, I, 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 I was about to say, like, it's you know, it's, it's against the actual nature and personality of a Mets fan to be optimistic. Yeah, I, you know, look, we're running something in tomorrow's newsletter. I guess by the time this runs, it'll be a day or two old. By this former player, Ty Kelly, who who Mets yeah. diehard Mets fans might remember, he was always sort of like, did, call it, did, did he play on the Israel yes. World Baseball yeah, Cup? Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, I think he's half Jewish, so that's how we got into the Team Israel. Um, and he actually, believe it or not, is the last Met to get a, a hit in, the, in a playoff game because in that wild card game against the Giants in 2016, he got a hit in the seventh inning off of Bumgarner. So he's the answer to a trivia question. But he writes for us on occasion. He's a really funny guy. And he's gonna he's writing something that we're going to run this week about opening day. And what he always says is the, the mantra on opening day is this could be the year. And he, he talks about how he felt that way as a player. Like each year it was like, this could be the year that I, that I become a big, you know, a major league player. And as a Mets fan, that's how you always, you know, and everybody is a fan always thinks on the first day, this could be our season. You don't want to think about the injuries. You don't want to think about the weaknesses, but I really do think this is a much better team than last year. I, I wrote something about the fact that 18 of the 40 man roster, 18 of those guys are new this year. That's like a major, major yeah. upheaval. So I think there's reason to think that they'll do better this year. Yeah, and if, in, in all the articles that the three of us read, I mean, one of the key points that I keep seeing is how much better we got from sort of 23 yeah. to 30, right? And how much deeper the team is. And so when the invariable in injuries happen, we're just in a much better position uh, to handle it. So um, does the Lindor extension happening be happen before opening day? Yes, I, I'd say definitely. And I'll, you'll know if I'm right or wrong by the time this posts. 
<laughs> yeah, exactly. So, and do you do that? Let's say it doesn't buy opening day. Do you take Lindor at his word that that's it, or if they're making progress, they'll keep I mean, going? You know, from what we're all hearing, right, and we're reading all the same 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 places and same sources, it really seems like they're kind of that they're right at the at the last uh, last phase of the negotiation. If you know, I can see them signing a day or two in and kind of having all the numbers in place, that seems where the direction we're going. Yeah, and even if they don't get it done in the next day or two, I mean, look, he could be a free agent at the end of the year and it'd be malpractice not to check back in with the richest owner in baseball. By the way, isn't it weird to hear Mets fans talk about the richest owner in baseball and it means their team? <laughs> I think he's also, a sec- at least in American sports, the second richest, to- Steve Ballmer's much richer like four times as rich. I, I tried to figure this out online. I think Cohen was number two. Yeah, Cohen's definitely the richest in the sport. And, you know, if you're Lindor and you don't get a deal now, I'm sure at the end of the year, um, if you're a free agent, you're, you're definitely going to have your agent, you know, call call Sandy Alderson again. So the Mets are in a good position. Either they sign Lindor now or they have a shot at him at the end of the year. And if not that, there's like four or five other really good free agent shortstops that are going to be available from Trevor Story to Corey Seager. Um, and, and others. So I think that um, the Mets, the Mets yeah. will have an opportunity to, to spend $300 million on a really good shortstop, regardless of who it is, sometime in the next nine months. One way or another. Um, w- what about Conforto extension before opening day? I think that's more questionable. Sorry, Peter, you should jump in if I'm if I'm hugging. I, I, I think, um, he, you know, so he didn't have an ironclad deadline. We don't know if Lindor's is really ironclad, but maybe Lindor had a better poker face. Um, Conforto was like, oh, it'd be ideal if it was done by opening day. So I think that they're going to kind of take some wiggle room there. My guess is they want to do Lindor first, button that up, and then you start going to Conforto. So I'm going to say no Conforto before opening day, but I think there's a really good chance that they, they, they do something with him in the next couple of months. Because remember, one of the reasons they didn't do Springer George Springer, who ended up going to Toronto, was they they kind of intimated that they wanted to make sure they had enough money to get something done with Conforto. So I think that's a pretty hopeful sign there. Is it, is it north of six years, hundred and fifty million? It could be. Yeah, I, I could see one sixty, something like that. But I think, I think your parameters yeah. sound about right. Yeah, look, if he plays anything like he played last year, then just based on war and everything else, it would, it would yeah, make sense. The funny thing about outfielders so, is, like, you know, I, I think a lot of people think of Conforto and they're like, wow, that's an almost $200 million player. I don't see it. But then you look at all the other outfielders in baseball. I have a fantasy draft right after this, actually, and so I was looking at all the outfielders. It's a pretty shallow pool of really quality outfielders now. Like, Conforto really is in the top 10 to 15 in the sport, which, you know, says maybe as much about the other outfielders than it does him. But you look at the list and it's it's kind of surprising. So speaking of outfielders, does, does Dom Smith uh, on game 162, is he playing in left field? <laughs> um, yeah, again, like I, I have to sort of amend this because I really thought that I've been telling everyone for, you know, for months that they're going to find a way to add the DH at the last second. But that certainly doesn't look like it's going to happen this season. Yeah, I, I, he's he's playing left field and I think he'll do a service, serviceable job. So you, you, you think that he'll be good enough that they won't be sort of forced to just figure something else I out? I think he, yeah, I, I think he's good enough. He has the work ethic to do it. Um, this is not, as much as we all love Mike Piazza, this is not shoving Mike Piazza or Todd Hundley out in left field. Um, you know, I think Dom's going to put the work in, and it, and it's left field. It's not shortstop. So I think he can uh, – Let's say Alonzo plays more like he played last year than, than two years ago. And I, I know he kind of came out the very end, but let, let's assume it, it, it was sort of mainly most of his year. Is there a place where Alonzo sits, Smith plays first, 
and somebody else was playing left. I can't see a team benching Alonzo for Kevin Pillar. That would, I mean, that's that's kind of the scenario. It's always like, you always have to look at it, right? Like it's not in a vacuum. It's like, what's your actual you know alternative? So for me, I think Pete stays at first if it's Pilar. I mean, if something else happens where they end up with another really quality player, maybe. But I, I don't think Alonzo. I'm going to say it right now. Alonzo is playing first base on game 162. Yeah, and I and I think with this uh, with this team, remember, like I you know I think we're looking at it. Of course, we're focused on this season, but um, you know, if this if this team is really looking at 2022, you know, winning and contending for the next several years, the DH will be in place next year. You're going to want to make sure that Dom gets 500 at bats this year. So, um, I, I, you know, I think that's your answer. No, I don't see Alonso getting benched. Will Syndergaard, Lugo, and Carrasco all be pitching at City Field in June? Not in June. But they will be pitching at City Field. How much? How long do you think it takes? I think Lugo and Carrasco are back by then. I would hold Syndergaard back until after the All Star break, and he can be your trade deadline uh, acquisition. So yeah, do you guys think that in 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 lieu of a big midseason acquisition, it's effectively Syndergaard? Or do you think that Uncle Steve's going to want to go a little deeper and, and, and splurge for something? There's certainly money left, right? I mean, we didn't sign Springer. We're still about $20 million, $22 million under the cap. Uh, and even with Blar, maybe 18 to $20 million. So, yeah, there's still room to do something. And let's be clear. It's not a cap. That's just a luxury tax, a random line that owners use. But, but, yeah, I mean, there's plenty of space even below the like nominal tax that like 14 billionaire Steve Cohen would have to pay. Um, so yeah, I think they definitely will will spend if they need it. I think those old days are, are gone. Even even the Wilpons, you know, put put in some money for Cespedes, for Cespedes when they were sniffing, you know, a playoff. Uh, Worked for that half season. Yeah, from what I'm told, as if I was a real journalist, my sources uh, say that in order to get the owner approval, Cohen promised not to go above the luxury tax, but only in the first year. Uh, which, you know, putting the Bauer thing aside, seemed like he more or less stuck to uh, in the offseason. Um, I think that sounds right. But, you know, we spoke with, um, we spoke, I was on a podcast called Shea Anything with Andy Martino, who's kind of the SNY. Yeah, you know, and so yeah. we went on that podcast and talked about it. And Andy basically said what you just said without, without kind of like reporting it as a fact. He was like, yeah, Cohen came in in order to get, the owners to fall in line, he basically had to promise he wasn't going to come in like a crazy cowboy and spend $300 million. So I think there's there's something to it, to what you just said, or something close. Yeah. Um, so therefore, if we were to make a big, a big mid-season acquisition, even if you don't know who it would be, where do you think it would be? Is, is it third base? Is it an outfielder? Is it a relief pitcher? How do you see it? I'm going to jump in and I'm, I'm going to say pitching just because that's always... I mean, I think this lineup is so good, and there's also really good reinforcements. I mean, Jonathan VR is not like an all-star player, just as a side note, but the guy could hit 20 home runs and steal 40 bases and has twice in the last four years. Um, and that's that's like, you know, your second or third guy off the bench. I mean, it's pretty solid offensively. I feel really <laughs> watch this be totally wrong now because I'm expressing such confidence. But to me, you always want to have more pitching, and that's what gets you into the playoffs. That's what win, wins playoff series. So whether it's a reliever or a starter, you know, I could see a world, this may be crazy, but I could see a world because, you know, Noah coming off of Tommy John, maybe what you want to do is actually have him come in as a closer if Diaz falters. And, you know, then John Smoltz did that. You might remember that like 20 years ago. Remember when Smoltz came up? 
worked worked out. Yeah, it worked out pretty well for him. Worked out beautifully. It was a good way to come off of the surgery, and the you know the Mets might need that bullpen help. Either way, whatever they do with Syndergaard, I think they're going to have to get pitching. Well, then that that kind of leads to my next question, then, which is. Uh, does Peterson regress from his sort of solid first year performance? It's hard to count on him to do what he did with, you know, a handful of starts. Uh, you know, we saw that with Steven Matz looked like, you know, the next coming of Dwight Gooden there for a little bit. And then it just sort of lasted for about five starts. Um, and that was that. Um, and now we have our, our number five starter, Luke Casey, has an identical record. I mean, we've never heard of him. I didn't hear of him before, you know, four or five weeks ago, and he has the identical career stats as Steven Matz, who is going to be, you know, part of our, uh, one of our aces of the future. Yeah, thank thank God Matz is gone, by the way. Uh, let him be Toronto's, uh, Toronto's headache. Um, what do you think, Blake? Peterson uh, has a strong sophomore year or he regresses? You know, you always want to be calm. I, could, I would not be surprised if there was some regression um, you know, there's obviously the the apocryphal sophomore jinx, but I think there's 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 actually factuality in science, uh, which is the league gets to know. What do you do? Ten starts last year, so the league gets to know you a little bit more this time. You have to make adjustments. That's true whether you're a pitcher or a hitter. I could see a scenario where the book fits out on him, and he's got to you know he's got to adjust to that, and that that takes time. So um, it will not surprise me if his earned run average is higher than three point four four or whatever it was last year. What's the over under for Alonzo home runs this season? It's forty two home runs is the over under. That's the official. Is that that's like what the, I'm like saying? The, yeah, it actually may be. Yeah, yeah. That's that's the Mets fix over under. Okay, got it. And are you taking the over or the under? Um, I'm gonna go the over. I think he gets a couple more than that because even last year, like we think of last year as such a disappointing season for him, but he was still on pace for thirty seven would have been. Um, so uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, he hits home runs, even when he's not, even when he wasn't hitting last year, he was still hitting home runs. I agree. I, I think he's over. I think he's gonna have a great year. I like, this may sound dumb. I like that he shut down all his social media. Did you see that? He was like, I just want to focus on hitting. I think he's a serious baseball guy. I don't think he was like the, one of these athletes who played, also played basketball and 15 other sports in high school. He's a baseball guy, loves the sport. He's serious. He wants to get back. He loved being the home run derby rookie of the year, all-time home run king in 2019. I don't think he liked being taking that regression last year. I think he's, you know, going to be really serious. What do you think, Brad? I'm curious. You're asking all these questions journalistically, and I know you've got opinions. Yeah, I'm, I'm the I'm, in this scenario. I'm the reporter. <laughs> uh, no, look, I I agree. Right, we, we've had plenty of Mets like Dave Kingman who hit home runs, even if they're not playing well. I think Alonzo's a much better player than, than they came in overall. And I think he works hard, and he's a good guy. I don't know if you saw the thing from this afternoon, but he's doing this this NFT to raise money for minor leaguers. I thought that was cool. Um, so, yeah, I, I hope so. And I also think that he his personality fits really well with this team. And so if the team is playing well, you could see how he's both motivating them and and kind of gro- you're grooving on that line. So I'll, I'll, I'll take the over too. So the next one, does DeGrom finish in the top three in the Cy Young this year? DeGrom wins the Cy Young this year. DeGrom wins the Cy yeah. Young this year. Absolutely. How can you bet against them? All right, let me ask <laughs> a harder question then. Jacob DeGrom has 72 career wins, I believe. And yet I think we would all say he's, all right, so number one, if you, if you retire today, putting aside the rule about how long you have to play, is he a Hall of Famer? I say yes, and here's my case, is that it's going to be a similar discussion. DeGrom to the Hall of Fame is going to be a similar discussion the first time he won the Cy Young Award, and we were all praying for him to get to at least 10 wins. 
because we were afraid that sports writers would be sort of stuck to the win total and that would keep him in. I think he just, just like he was the, the example that was used to sort of kind of put wins to bed and give him the Cy Young, I think it's going to be a similar kind of dismissal of all the counting stats for the Hall of Fame. I think he's going to make the Hall of Fame and it's going to be a similar thing uh, to how he won the Cy Young. Yeah, but he asked, he said if he retires today, you think with 72 wins, he's going to be in the Hall of Fame? If he retires today, why is he not Johan Santana? Right. Um, why is he not Sandy Koufax? I mean, if he goes out and gets in an accident or something, right? I mean, he, yes, I, I, I do think he has to put up two or three more seasons of the same thing to really be a Hall of Famer. But if something, you know, if something happened tomorrow, I could see him making it. I agree with you that actually, I agree with Peter's reasoning, but not the conclusion. I agree that DeGrom will be in the Hall of Fame and he will be the like first test case that says you don't have to have 200, 300 wins or whatever to get into the Hall. But I don't think it's if, if he retires today. Like like you said, Bradley, two Cy Youngs are not alone enough. I think of Johan Santana, who I think should should be in actually. And then I think of God Lincecum. Yeah, I was about to say, Tim Lincecum. That's like the other example. I mean, that guy was like, you know, that guy was amazing for three or four years. I think DeGrom's going to need to put in like three or five more seasons, and he will. And he'll end up with like 130 wins. And that'll be crazy to be in the Hall of Fame. But like Peter said, he'll change the game, and he'll get in with 130. So given the way the game has changed, does anyone win 300 wins in their career again? No. Oh, uh, rocker from Vanderbilt. He's going to do it. <laughs> but like, let's let's assume that even he had the the makeup to do it, and the constitution to do it. I mean, would the managers and and pitching coaches and everything even let that happen, or are they just going to use someone like that so differently that it it, it won't matter? Because yeah, you have so many openers now, right? And like, so who gets the win? the win stat is kind of a weird random stat anyway. The, the, to me, the the question I'm grappling with is like innings pitched. Like, are people going to pitch anywhere near the innings they used to? And so, no, I don't think anyone's going to come close to kind of those those innings pitched wins, career longevity type numbers. I think it's a totally different game. Um, I'd be really, really surprised. I might be surprised if in 20 wins, the win category is still like a thing that we talk about. Wins and saves, they're just, they're just calculated so weirdly that I think the game is catching up in that regard. But that's kind of a separate conversation. So, so speaking of the opener, Blake, how, how often do you think the Mets will use one uh, in this upcoming season? It looks like that's where they're headed. I don't know if you caught it, but this weekend they, they experimented with that. They'd take a Barnes, do the first inning, and then Lucchese do four or five after that. I think that's definitely their intention for that fifth starter slot for now. I think the other four are kind of established and, and they'll be all right. But so, you know, if, if that's the fifth starter slot until Carrasco or Noah come back in eight weeks, so figured that might be 10 starts that they're going to try that out on. Do you think that's why Selman made the roster today? I don't know exactly. I, you know, we have a story in today's newsletter just saying that Gesellman making it just preserves all other options uh, for the team. Yeah, I saw that. And so I think that that's a lot of what that was, meaning they didn't have to, you don't have to demote anyone. You don't have to add someone new to the 40-man roster. It's sort of like just going with the default incumbent kind of guy and buying yourself some time, knowing that you can do all sorts of transactions you know, in season. It doesn't, you know, really matter who it is on day one. So I think Gisellman was more of just sort of like keeping your options open. Peter, does Jeff McNeil hit 320 higher, or higher? Um, he is a future batting champion. I used to say that about Daniel Murphy, and I was poo-pooed. Um, <laughs> and then he turned into an MVP. Uh, yeah, I, I think I, I love to watch McNeil hit. He had a terrible spring training, but um, He's just he's just so good. Uh, and I think the dead ball, I'm definitely in the camp that the the deader ball this season 
is going to help him because he's not going to get home run happy. He's not going to get pull happy. And yeah, he, he hits over 320. What do you think, Blake? Yeah, I think I, I, it's funny. Every like benchmark that you mentioned is like exactly what I think the personal piece. I've got to like, I think 320 is like exactly what I would say for him. But I'll go a little bit higher. I like Peter's argument. Uh, uh, you know, uh, argument there. I think the one thing is like, what if McNeil has, because of the dead ball, Peter, what if McNeil only has like six home runs at the all-star break? Don't you think he's going to like get like mad at himself and then start trying to hit, hit home runs? It's just hard to know. But uh, yeah, I agree with the logic. All right. So I'll, I'll give you one that's a little more ambitious, but not impossible. Does Nemo have an on-base percentage of over 400? You can take it. No, I mean, I, again, this is like, these are always like right on the this is a tough one. This is maybe the toughest question I'm going to ask. Yeah, you no, it's tough. Time. I mean, for for him to do 400 means he's going to have to hit a little bit higher average than he normally does. Well, no, we know the walks will be there. I'm going to say he's going to be a little under 400. I think he's going to be around 390, which is great. I think he's going to be right at 400. With he's hitting in front of Lindor, he hasn't hit in front of someone like that. Um, it's just that, and and again, I think he's one of these guys who's really that that one year. I mean, even the year that he couldn't hit for two months and it turned out he had a pinched nerve in his neck. He ended up with a 390 on base percentage. The guy gets on base. So give me, give me the ideal lineup as, as each of you see it right now. How would you, how would you construct it? I think you have to Nimmo leading off Lindor second. Yeah. Um, and then um, as far as sort of the next kind of three to six, I think whoever's hitting, right. I mean, it, and, and you just kind of do, you can do righty lefty, Alonzo Conforto, um, but yeah, I think it's I think it's Nimmo, Lindor. I like Conforto, Alonzo, Dom um, as my as my one through five, um, and then you have McNeil in the six hole. So you have the batting champion hitting Absolutely. six. <laughs> Absolutely, but that's what I mean. Such a deep yeah. lineup, right? Like. like- that yeah. it's true. Like I think I have that lineup that way too. Although here's a question: If McNeil was having his was like raking this spring, and we all agree spring training doesn't matter, right? But if he was hitting like 400 this spring, wouldn't we all be like he should be hitting third, not sixth? Yeah, having a bad spring, sir. We all have recency yeah, bias, exactly. right? So ha- having a, a a bad spring certainly impacts it. But yeah, I'm, I I agree that he'll be fine. All right. So this one, well, what was Davis's OPS in 19? It was over 900, right? I think it was right around there. I could look it up, but I think it was like maybe a hair under, but it was right around there. Could he hit? Could he have an OPS of 850 this year? You talking about JD Davis? I think so, for sure. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I mean, look, I, I, I may be, I, I'm curious if you agree with this, both of you guys, but I'm kind of willing to throw out a lot of last year. I mean, first of all, the small sample size, that's obvious. Secondly, you know, some of these guys like Kristen Yelich, who's like a total stud, was like saying he wasn't able to hit because he didn't have the ability to like look at video win game and like who knows but these guys have their routine so that wasn't and then also like they were worried about getting what they thought was like a deadly disease so you're not seeing your family it's just there's a lot of stuff going on so you know jay didn't have a great season but it wasn't like a 600 ops i think he was like in the 750 range last year so could he be somewhere between last year and the year before i think definitely i mean he he can hit and, you know, if you have – if Guillaume comes anywhere close to what he showed last year, and again, I'm, I'm all for throwing out last year, I you know, even for the positive. But if Guillaume shows any anything close to what he did last year, and if you're sitting Davis for some of the, some of the tough righties, give Guillaume a few starts, uh, yeah, absolutely. I think, I think Davis is going to rake, and then you have a good defensive uh, backup. Uh, not, not quite a platoon, but 
Um, you have a tandem there at third base. I think that's strong. Do you think Guillaume has any at-bats longer than 22 pitches? No. I, that, I'll go to the bank on that. He'll have a few 15-pitch at-bats. <laughs> yeah, I, was, I was listening to the, the baseball BBQ uh, podcast. You ever listen to that one on the Ringer? Mm-hmm. And they had, a, they had a funny discussion of if Guillaume hit zero, <laughs> but every at-bat was a 22-pitch at-bat, is he the MVP? Could you imagine that would he would be the tough it would, it would be extraordinary to watch it would be great I mean he would be an all-time folk hero like you think of the way we grew up loving Rusty Staub and and like Lenny Harris and Lee Mazzilli like all these like pinch hitting role players and I like and I come from the, I'm saying Rusty Staub at the end of his career and Lee Mazzilli at the end of his career kind of when they were like the but yeah I would love it he'd be like the next Joe McEwing if he could come in for a 20 pitch at bat can I tell you guys, I honestly think the play where Guillaume is in the dugout and catches that flying bat is maybe even yeah, more impressive than the 22-pitch walk. Have you guys seen that recently? Like, I remembered it, but then I watched it recently. It is so incredible because you have all these other grown professional athletes who are right by him running for their lives, scurrying and, like, co- covering their heads, looking like the biggest wimps. And Guillaume just stands there, doesn't move, sticks his hand out, and the bat goes right in there. That was that guy's got double folk, folk legend status in my book. Right. Well, then, so that that's actually a good segue to the next question, which is, what do you think this team's personality is going to be like? You know, I, I have to say, you know, it's we're you know, it's one of those like cliches in sports, like, oh, they're a good team in the clubhouse. It's a good group of guys, but that 2019 team, the personality, like, you know, I got to go to the last game of the season, and it was like that Dom Smith comes back from the disabled list to hit a three run homer. And, you know, my daughter and I are jumping up and down. Like they, we just won the world series and they're celebrating like they just won the world series and that core group, as much as the team has changed, that core group of guys is still there. And they're just a fun group of guys to root for. Um, and you throw, you know, you throw the biggest personality in the game in there as well. Um, with Lindor, I, I, you know, I just, I love to watch them. It's, it's definitely a, a fun team to root for. And it's actually one of the things that I was, uh, you know, one of the many reasons I didn't want to spend $40 million a year on Bauer was just, they're a less likable team. They'll, they'll definitely win more games with Bauer pitching, uh, behind DeGrom, but they're a lot less likable with somebody like that. So I, I definitely, I love, I love watching this team. All right. So then in true Mets fashion, give me each one, what you're most pessimistic about, uh, and then two, where you guys kind of fundamentally disagree on something involving the Mets. Yeah, I'll start with what I'm pessimistic about, and then while I'm doing that, Peter, think about what we disagree on. I'm sure there's <laughs> stuff. Um, I, I said this before. I, I'm always, <laughs> I'm a natural worrier anyway, but I worry about the bullpen. I, I don't know whether to be, to believe in Edwin Diaz or not. I'm actually pretty excited about Trevor May. I thought that was a good pickup. Um, but I do not think Familia and Batances are going to like go back to their glory days. I'd love to be wrong about this. So if they're both struggling, like that's a, you, you get into the depths of that bullpen pretty quickly. So that's, that's my, that's what I'm very pessimistic about. Loop and May and Castro, they don't have you. <laughs> I like those guys. No, I do like May a lot. And I think Loop seems like he's a quality lefty. I didn't watch him a lot when he was on Tampa, but I've seen him this spring. He looks like he's a quality pitcher. Castro could go either way. He's one of those guys that seems like he's got filthy stuff, but it's all about command. He commanded it better this spring than he did last year. So, yeah, I think you've got some decent options there. But once you get through those those four, I mean, look, when Lugo comes back, that's going to be a huge lift, obviously, for that team. But until then, if that's two months or a month, we just don't know, I'm going to be a little bit nervous. Peter, what are you pessimistic about? 
uh, same Diaz as closer. Um, closers, you know, you you blow saves, and his ability to bounce back uh, when the crowds come back, and the seven line army is uh, is uh, is uh, giving him a queen's cheer on his way out. Um, that's what you know. How does he bounce back from that? It remains to be seen. And you know, that's the one sort of if the my one gripe of the off season is I would have emptied the bank account on every available bullpen arm. I would have promised a closing job to four different free agents if I had to. Um, I would just would have signed them all uh, and had a super bullpen. That's my one gripe of the all season. Not signing Brad Hamm was weird. I thought. Yeah. Or at least a mistake. I think everything I've heard it would yeah, agree with that. Yes. By the way, there's still like a bunch of like relievers who are really good who are out there, like Shane Green, Home, you know. Yeah. Uh, Steve Ciszek isn't great at this point, but he has closed in the past. Jeremy Jeffers. There are some guys out there who can be gotten it, but I do kind of think these these guys who don't sign until really really late, like once the season begins, usually doesn't work out that well. I think Dallas Keuchel might have been the one recent exception. Yeah, they have a hard time. So so where do you guys disagree? It doesn't have to be, it could even be about the Mets more philosophically. It doesn't even have to be about the 2021 team if you want. Do you remember anything, Peter? I feel like we disagree all the time. I just can't think. <laughs> we do. I don't know that they're all that, uh, all that, uh, that interesting, the disagreements. I would, uh, I would, I'll, I'll say one. I would uh, open up the bank account since I'm opening up somebody else's bank account. And it's not my money. Um, or I guess it only is indirectly. Uh, I would, uh, I go all out to sign Syndergaard for an extension. Um, and not not necessarily buying low, just investing in that pitching staff. I want DeGrom and Syndergaard together for the next few years. All right, we can disagree there. So, so what I would do, is, this is my idea for, for Syndergaard, um, and I'm curious how, how, how you guys feel about this. I think it's in the interest of both of them to do a, a two-year extension right now. Syndergaard's got some uncertainty. He did probably, maybe he's so confident that he can go right at the free agency off of like three months of recovering from from an injury. But I think from his standpoint, good, let me have two years to reestablish my value. I'll be dominant. From the Mets' point of view, great. You've got some certainty into that rotation um, with Syndergaard. And there's some risk involved because maybe he never gets it back. Matt Harvey didn't get it back after a different surgery. But so I like the idea of a two-year contract. I would not give him a seven-year extension or anything like that if that's what you're talking about, Peter. So that would be a point of, of disagreement there. By the way, if you do lock up Noah for any period of time, the Mets basically have like their five-man rotation for the next couple of years because they've got DeGrom through the end of 2022. Then he has an opt-out, but hopefully he stays. Um, they've got um, Carrasco for two years plus a third-year op- team option. They've got Walker for two years plus a team option. They've got Peterson, who's a, who's a young guy. So if they got Syndergaard locked up, they'd have a five. They'd know their five-man rotation for the next couple of years. And implicit in that is that they're not going to extend Stroman. Right. Our last and most important question, um, do we have a better year than the Yankees? Yes. <laughs> that Yankee rotation, man, there are some question marks. Corey Kluber's are number two. I agree. Domingo, I, I like Corey Kluber and, and Jamison Tyone, and I think Domingo Herman could be a good pitcher, but they all have question marks on their own. I can't imagine. It would all have to work out really, really well for them, and given that it's the Yankees, it, pro- it very well could, but... You know, I think the Mets, it's very possible we could have a better year this year. Yeah. Peter? Yeah, I think you, you got to go with that. I mean, it, it's uh, it's counterintuitive to who we are as Met fans, but I feel like, you know, there's a new regime in town. It's, it's opening day, and, uh, you know, this could be the year. All right, guys, people can sign up for the Daily Newsletter by doing what? Go to MetsFix.com. 
and follow us on Twitter at Netsfix. We're also on Facebook and Instagram. Yeah, and look, as someone who has been excited about this since I think maybe Peter first emailed it to me, like the, I was just <laughs> like, I'm all in. So uh, anyone who's enjoyed this podcast will definitely enjoy Medfix. So I highly recommend that people subscribe to it. So guys, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Thank you.